Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, God, the great physician, has prescribed the best treatment for Moses to rid him of this infection of the wisdom of this world. And the first question is, how long is the treatment going to last for Moses? Well, it's given to us in Exodus 2.23, and it came to pass in process today, the process of days. So Moses' severe treatment, it lasted, as we said, for 40 years. It took God 40 years to clean out of Moses the wisdom of this world. And the second question is, about Moses' severe therapy of what the treatment was that was given is in Exodus 3.1. Moses kept the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert, came to the mountain of God. So Moses' severe therapy was for him to go to the backside of the desert. And what's the therapeutic value to be on the backside of the desert for 40 years. What's so good about the backside of the desert? Moses was there for 40 years. Well, on the backside of the desert, everything that is seen really is what it is. The backside of the desert is reality. I remember one time spending a week on our 12-acre compound in Boudijur, outside of Boudijur, in the countryside of Ethiopia there with no electricity, but just wonderful people who were more concerned about food and staying alive and not becoming infected with malaria and HIV and so forth. They were more concerned about that rather than if Apple was going to release their 128 gig version of the iPhone. And when I arrived, my first thought when I got there, the countryside of Ethiopia was, how soon can I get out of here? How soon can I leave? But then when it was time to leave, I asked, how soon can I return? How soon can I come back? And when I got back to the States, I remember a doctor friend of mine said to me, welcome back to reality. And it just hit me when he said that, welcome back to reality. I mean, that friend drives a $120,000 two-seat sports car, lives in a multi-million dollar home. And I said to him, no, this is not reality. Life in the countryside of Ethiopia, that's reality. Because life in the countryside of Ethiopia is like the backside of the desert. The backside of the desert is where there are no false colors. There's no glitter. There's no sparkle of Las Vegas. The sand is not gilded. It's just sand. There's no excitement from the world's schemes on the backside of the desert. There's no hustle and bustle and, and the, uh, of, of, of Egypt's marketplace on the backside of the desert. 
There's no rise and fall of world monetary markets on the backside of the desert. There's no fighting for ambition there. There's no thirst for gold and wealth out there. No one is on the backside of the desert applauding Moses. No one's there elating his ego. Moses' heart is not swelling with pride on the backside of the desert. On the backside of the desert, Moses does not feel the pull and the tug of the lust of his heart. On the backside of the desert, Moses has found that the world just died. There, Moses has found that everything that it would otherwise take him away, distract him, lure him, lure his soul away, is all easily set aside. He can easily set all that aside. And the only presence that can easily be sensed on the backside of the desert is the presence of God. And the only thoughts that can be easily received on the backside of the desert are the thoughts of God. And the only voice that can easily be heard on the backside of the desert is the voice of God. That was the therapy that God prescribed for Moses. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound like a great therapy? Wouldn't you like to have that therapy every day? That's exactly what God has prescribed for us. Exactly. He's, God has said exactly what our morning quiet time with God is supposed to be. In the morning, when we've just woke up and our minds are clear, we have a decision. David put it this way. In the morning, he would direct his prayer unto God. In the morning, right in that time when we've just woke up and our minds are clear, that's the time when we open our eyes, and at that moment, just for that second, we don't know where we are. We don't know where we've woken up. That's the time when we can take, we can say to God, Lord, let's you and I take a little trip this morning to the backside of the desert. Lord, let's stay here this morning in the backside of the desert until the world dies within me. Lord, let's stay here until sin and sense molest no more. Those are the words, sin and sense molest no more, are from the hymn, From Every Stormy Wind That Blows. And it describes so well what happens when we use the morning quiet time for a time alone with God and we go with God to the backside of the desert. Some of the words of that hymn, are from every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, a sure retreat, tis found beneath the mercy seat. There, there on eagle's wings we soar, and time and sense seem all no more. And heaven comes down our souls to greet, glory crowns the mercy seat. Ah, there on eagle wings we soar, and sin and sense molest no more. And heaven come down, our souls to greet, while glory crowns the mercy seat. See, the morning time alone with God on the backside of the desert is not a time to rush in and rush out of. And sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it just takes a while for the world to die within us. Sometimes it takes a while for distractions to become silenced. Sometimes it takes a while. It took Moses 40 years 
for Moses to see the world and his pride die inside of him. And when we come to our morning devotion time, we will never hear these words from God. God will never say to us, come on, let's get this over. I got a lot of things to do today. I can't spend much time with you now, so let's get on with it. God will never say those words. He will never say that. Why? Because when it comes to us spending time with God, God is in no hurry. God has time. It's us that's in the hurry. We're the ones who are saying to God, come on, let's get on with this. Let's get this over. I got a lot of things to do today. I can't spend much time with you here, so let's get on with it. But the day when Moses walked off the backside of that desert for the last time, Moses was not the same man. Moses was changed. He was not the same as the first day when he walked on to the backside of the desert. Moses was a changed man. And when Moses arrived for the first time on the backside of the desert, Moses was, you would describe him in Acts 7.22, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And Moses knew he was mighty in words and deeds and learned in all the wisdom. And when Moses first entered the school, of the backside of the desert, Moses was proud. And when Moses left for the last time, the school of the backside of the desert, Moses was described with not the words of 722, but now he is described with the words of Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. So you can look at it like this. After a 40-year course in the school of the backside of the desert, Moses has graduated, and God gives Moses his diploma at his graduation, and his diploma reads, the meekest man on the face of the earth. Moses graduated a humble man. Moses entered the school of the backside of the desert a proud man, but he graduated a humble man. The school of the backside of the desert was critical in Moses' life. The school of the backside of the desert was one of three sections in Moses' life. Each section is 40 years. At the end of his first 40 years, when he enters the school of the backside of the desert, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter had been in the past, Moses learned that Moses was everything. And at the end of the second 40 years, when he graduates from the school of the backside of the desert, Moses has learned that Moses is nothing. And at the end of the final 40 years of Moses' life, where he's had to rely on God in the most difficult situations to lead Israel out of Egypt, Moses will learn that God is everything. Three sections in his life. First section, Moses learns that Moses is everything. Second section, Moses learns that Moses is nothing. Third section, Moses learns that God is everything. That's the final state that Moses will enter heaven with, knowing that God is everything. That's a goal for us. That's what God wants to lead us through also and to bring us to this point in our lives where we see God is everything. I need Jesus. I need him every day. That's what he wants to teach us. Now, it says in verse 1, Exodus 3, verse 1, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. 
So Moses is in, at this point, today what is Saudi Arabia, the southern part of Saudi Arabia, and he comes to Mount Sinai. It's interesting how verse 1 reads that Moses led the flock of his father-in-law to the mountain of God. Moses had many days, 14,000 of them, of practice of leading another person's flock to Mount Sinai. And we can imagine what it was like for Moses when after so many days of leading his father-in-law's flock to Mount Sinai, later he's going to return again to Mount Sinai with Israel, another person's flock. Moses again is going to lead the flock of the Jewish people this time to this mountain, Mount Sinai. And again, this is going to be a flock belonging not to his father-in-law, but it's going to be belonging to his heavenly father. And I wonder if Moses asked himself the question, which flock was easier for me to lead, the sheep flock of my father-in-law or the Jewish flock of my heavenly father? Now, verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now, we see that Moses here encounters a person. Who is this person? He's identified as the angel of the Lord. And immediately, we ask the question, So who is the angel of the Lord? And we look down to verse 6, Exodus 3, verse 6, just a few verses down, where it says, the angel of the Lord is speaking to Moses, and the angel of the Lord says, moreover he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, El Avraham, El Yitzhak, El Yaakov. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. From this verse, we see that this angel of the Lord identifies himself. He says, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. A very familiar phrase that we know very well in the Bible. And then in that verse, we see that Moses hides his face from the angel of the Lord. Why? Because it says at the end of verse 6, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. It doesn't say here he was afraid to look upon the angel of the Lord, which the angel of the Lord was, but it says he was afraid to look upon God. So we understand from the words of this angel of the Lord who said he was God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we understand from what Moses did hiding his face, and he explained why, because he was afraid to look on God. So we understand that this angel of the Lord is God himself. And then from here, when this angel of the Lord speaks, it's recorded in verse 7, the next verse, and the Lord said. So it's no longer the angel of the Lord is saying, but now it's the Lord said. So there's no question about it that this angel of the Lord is God himself. Now, the question is, which one of the three persons in the Trinity Elohim Godhead is this angel of the Lord? Is this angel of the Lord God the Father of the Elohim Godhead? Is this angel of the Lord God the Spirit of the Elohim Godhead? Is this angel of the Lord God the Son of the Elohim Godhead? Well, if you drop down to verse 14, we see that this angel of the Lord, who is God, said, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Very famous title for God, the great I am. And here this angel of the Lord 
that appeared unto Moses, that's in the burning bush, who has said that he is God, who Moses said that he is God, and who the narrative says that when he speaks, it says the Lord spake. Now he says something more specific about himself. He says that he is the great I am. So this angel of the Lord in the burning bush, who is God himself, says that he has the name of I am. Now, if you please turn to John chapter 8, verse 58 and 59, where we read, when the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his enemies, he says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, did they understand at that point that the Lord Jesus Christ was claiming to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the burning bush who said that his name was I am? Well, if there's any question about that, the next verse answers the question because it says in the next verse, then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So why did they take up stones to kill him? Because he claimed to be God, because he claimed to be the I am. And then in John 8, 24, it says, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. So here he's saying that integral to salvation, integral to not dying in the sins, integral for going to heaven and not going to hell is the belief that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, the great I am that has appeared to Moses in the burning bush, integral. So in these two verses that we've just seen here in John 8, the Lord Jesus Christ clearly identified himself as the great I am. That means that this angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are not told exactly what Moses saw, but we are told in verse 2 that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. No one can see God unless God decides to reveal himself. So what Moses saw is described as the angel of the Lord in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. The angel was in the fire and yet was not consumed or burned up by the fire. That reminds us of what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were Daniel's companions, when they refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's idol, the image he made. The king was so angry that he cast those three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, into the fiery furnace. And then the king looked in the furnace and was shocked by what he saw. And it's described for us in Daniel 3.25. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Three men were cast into the fire, he saw four, and the fourth one, he said, was the Son of God. That fourth person that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in the furnace with those three Jewish men was identified by him as the Son of God. How he knew that was the Son of God, I don't know. But there again, the Son of God was in the midst of the fire, he was not burned up, and those three Jewish men were with him in the midst of the fire, therefore they were not burned up either. Verse 2 of Exodus 3 goes on to describe the bush there. It says that the angel of the Lord was in the midst of a bush. Not the bush, but a bush. Just a bush. It's not described as a, an impressive bush. It's not described as a big, big bush. Just a bush. Just a common desert bush. Not a tree. Not a mighty tree. Just one of the common, nondescript, everyday, run-of-the-mill desert bushes. Now, why did God, 
Why did God, the great creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, choose to appear to Moses in just one of the common desert bushes? Why didn't he choose a big, impressive tree, or at least a big bush, something maybe called the bush, just not just a, a bush? Why he did that is very, very significant. Because the Lord Jesus Christ described himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as he said this about himself, I am meek and lowly in heart. The Lord Jesus Christ chose one of those common desert bushes to appear because of how he is described in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Very important that the Lord Jesus Christ chose to appear to Moses in just one of those common, everyday desert bushes. That's in exact keeping with what it says about him in that great chapter about his sacrifice, his atonement, in chapter 53 of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 2, it speaks about how he looked. And it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. The Lord Jesus Christ chose to appear to Moses in just one of those common bushes, because when it came time for him to ride into the city of the king, into Jerusalem, on that great day, Palm Sunday, he came in fulfillment of the prophecy of him. He came, he came just as God told Israel that they could recognize God, the Messiah, coming into Jerusalem because he told them hundreds of years ago, God gave them the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 where God said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. God is humble, and those who come to God must humble themselves because of what it says in James 4, 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. That's why God's best gifts are on his lowest shelves, because you got to bend down to get them. And the best gift of all is to dwell with God, to be with God. And God said who it was who dwells with him in Isaiah 57, 15, when he said, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's why David said in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much. How we thank you so much, Lord, that you are near to those of a broken heart because we are the people of a broken heart. And Lord, we thank you so much that you're not arrogant and proud as we see in the world, but that you are meek and lowly in heart. And thank you, Lord, for appearing to Moses in that common everyday bush that burned and was not consumed. Help us, Lord, to absorb these truths into our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 